for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, Holly referenced corporate worship. That does sound so stuffy. I prefer that we call it business casual worship at Cornerstone. <laughs> we keep it relaxed. Well, uh, good morning, church. It's, uh, it's really great to get to be together today. As If you were here last week, I shared that we're doing something that is new for us, which is beginning to lean into some of the rhythms of the church calendar. You may have heard the church calendar, the Christian year, uh, which is, is new for us. The church calendar, you may have know of things like Advent because everyone has some kind of Advent calendar, whether it's cheese or chocolate or wine or dog bones. Uh, people, people know about Advent at least uh, one way or another. But, but the rhythms of the church calendar are meant to be a kind of communal training habit. So, you know, elite athletes will train in different ways if they're, you know, uh, runners doing great distances. They'll do their long runs, but they'll also do sprints. They'll train at different intervals to try to strengthen their bodies to be able to handle a lot of different, uh, different needs and different terrains. And similarly, the idea of the church calendar is meant to help the church have a, 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 re- a well-rounded rhythm together. And so there are seasons of celebration, like Epiphany, which may be a season you don't know a ton about, but we'll explore together. Epiphany is a season of celebration. The light of Christ has shined, and it's shined to all the world. God has a heart for all of the nations of the world. This is a point of celebration. It leads to the time of Lent. Now, Lent was very new to me when I entered kind of the United Methodist circles in 2007, 2008. You know, I knew about Lent as like in your pockets and in your belly button, but this was a different kind of Lent that I was not familiar with. It's a season of repentance uh, in, 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 uh, in solidarity with uh, early believers who were being baptized. The whole church would fast and repent ahead of those who would be baptized on Easter. And so the season of Lent is a season of repentance. People, we, we concentrate on our need for redemption. Leads us to Holy Week. We have Palm Sunday, which we'll talk about actually a bit today when Jesus enters Jerusalem as king. It leads to Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday when Jesus is laid in the tomb. And then Easter Sunday starts off this new season of celebration. So there's celebration with Epiphany. There's repentance and fasting with Lent. There's a longer season of celebration with Easter in light of the resurrection of Jesus. 
That leads us to Pentecost Sunday where we remember the gift of the Holy Spirit and now living in light of the gift of the Spirit to the church. And all of it culminates with last Sunday being a Christ the King Sunday. And today we start the season of Advent, which I'll be explaining a little bit about this morning. Another new practice we're starting today is I'm beginning to preach through the lectionary. How many of you know what that means when I say I'm going to preach through the lectionary, okay? Uh, it's, it's, it may be a new idea for many, but it's, the idea is preaching assigned texts. So we belong to the Anglican Church of North America, and uh, Anglicans all throughout North America and throughout the world are preaching texts that we've agreed on together. On this Sunday of the year, we're going to study these passages. Now, the thing is, when I preach, what I really hope to happen every time is that it's awesome. <laughs> and that, like, you can tell when I'm really passionate about a sermon, you know, if I'm going to preach on 1 Corinthians 15, at least I'm going to enjoy it, because I know 1 Corinthians 15 really well. But what happens is, is oftentimes preachers cherry-pick the texts or the topics that they're already comfortable with, and there are large portions of the Bible that go unstudied and unpreached. And one of the benefits of preaching the lectionary is we've opened ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're saying, all right, Lord, you set the agenda for us. I would probably never choose to preach this passage in Luke chapter 21, but it was assigned to us today, and I'm confident that if all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, then this is God's breath for us today to, that we're meant to breathe in with joy. And so today we're going to begin studying uh, the lectionary along with um, believers all throughout the world. Well, like I've said, the church calendar is not something that I grew up with. I grew up in the Assemblies of God. We knew about Easter. I knew about Christmas. But the rest of it all sounded Roman Catholic to me. And I definitely didn't know about, about Epiphany and all things like this. But as I've been learning uh, along the way the last 13 or 14 years about the church calendar, uh, I've been, done some learning and I've also had to do a little bit of unlearning. Give you an example. Advent is one of those things where there's there's some cultural um, we're, we're conversant a little bit about what Advent is all about, but some of the ways that we talk about it actually aren't all that old. So you know, to to give you an example, Advent is actually not, from an historical perspective, uh, linked with Christmas. I have, in front of groups of people, talked about how Advent is like the countdown to Christmas, but there's evidence that in the early Roman church, it was actually its own thing. We'll talk about what that is, but it was unlinked from the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. I hope that I'm not ruining anyone else's Advent today, but even the idea of an Advent wreath or Advent uh, candles quite like this is a relatively new practice to the church. The Advent wreath is. It's 19th century Germany is where you first start seeing the idea of Advent wreaths come into practice. This is going to be really depressing for others of you, but you may have heard that the, the four candles, the three purples and the one pink uh, candles of Advent all have these really rosy meanings of, uh, of love and joy and hope and peace. I hate to break it to you, but that is somewhat of a modern invention. I kid you not, the original medieval theming for the Advent calendars was, are you ready for it? Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. It's like, come here, Sally. Do you want to light the candle of hell for us as a church? And evidently, the higher-ups at Hallmark and Mardell got together and said, we just cannot market these candles. <laughs> so they came up with a more cheerful spin. So uh, what is Advent? 
Well, quite simply, Advent is a season in which the church focuses on the second coming of Christ. Obviously, we're living in light of the first coming of Christ, but it's primarily a focus on the second coming of Christ. And the, second, the season of Advent is really not all that merry and bright. It's, it's very aware of the darkness and the chaos and the injustice of the present age. And there are these times of the year we celebrate, yes, God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ and we live in light of His resurrection and that does change everything. And yes, we live in light of Pentecost. The God, God is in us through the Holy Spirit. The world has been forever changed in view of the incarnation and the gift of the Spirit and all that the Father has been doing in the world. And yet, we recognize that the story has not yet reached its final conclusion. Christ has not yet returned in final victory to set all things to rights. Advent is aware of, of the remaining rebellion and brokenness in the world. Advent recognizes that despite some superficial progress, uh, human beings are not making actual progress toward peace and brotherly love and kindness. In the season of Advent, there's not a lot of emphasis on the things that we do. There's, there's really much more emphasis on God as the divine actor. God as the divine initiator. And so in the season of Advent, in particular, we set our hopes on divine intervention because only God can make, make something right out of that which we've made so, so wrong. And so it's common in the season of Advent to pray as the church the last prayer of the Bible, come Lord Jesus. I could, I could illustrate the season of Advent a bit like this. The, the New Testament talks about uh, we live in the present evil age. This is the life after the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, it's a world that's characterized by sin and death and injustice, violence, all these things that God abhors, that grieve the heart of God. And in the middle of the present evil age, Jesus Christ came preaching good news. Jesus came smack dab in the middle of the present evil age, and in his life, in his ministry, in his teaching, in his death, in his resurrection, his ascension, the gift of the Spirit, the birth of the church, the, the present, the, the, the age to come has been brought into the present. Jesus said, right now, the kingdom of God is at hand. So you see, we, we, we're in the middle of these overlapping eras. The, the present evil age will reach its consummation at Christ's second advent, at His return. But, but you see where we live right now, we live bracketed in the middle of these overlapping eras. We live in the time between the present evil age and the age to come when Christ is enthroned ultimately and finally over all creation. We see Him as He is, and He puts to rights all things that we've made wrong. We live in the time in between. Uh, the text assigned for today is an apocalyptic text. We have versions of this in Matthew and Mark, and Jesus is, like, uh, is, is channeling this kind of doomsday energy. And if you think about what's going on in his life, you think rightly so. In just a few chapters earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus has entered Jerusalem and the people have lauded him as king and he's wept over the city because they think he's coming in as a political deliverer. And he weeps saying, if only you knew what made for real peace. Jesus uh, goes into the temple and in a kind of prophetic action against the temple and its abuses, he throws over the table the moneylenders, he's got a whip and he's like stampeding cattle through the temple. 
This was a seditious act in the eyes of many. This would be like a member of Congress burning the flag on Capitol Hill. This was, this was a, a, an action that provoked intense anger. In, in Luke chapter 20, Jesus returns to the temple and he gives overt strong, strong, like with a lot of strong language, teaching against the scribes and the teachers of the law and the, the Sanhedrin, those who ruled over the temple, and even hints at his own messiahship. Jesus is absolutely picking a fight. And at the beginning of Luke chapter 21, Jesus is walking away from the temple, aware that he's just lit the fuse that's going to culminate in his, his own public execution. And as Jesus is walking away from the temple, if you've ever been to Jerusalem and you've seen even the semblance of what remains, it's magnificently large. You can only imagine what it was like then. And Jesus is walking away from the temple in this intense headspace. The disciples are just out to lunch, did not appreciate what had just gone down. And you can tell by the conversation, they're like, man, the temple is awesome. Look at these polished stones, and Jesus is still in this intense headspace, and he's like, you know what, i got something to say to you about the temple. And he gives this prophetic warning that the temple is going to be destroyed in their lifetime. He said, not one stone is going to be left on top of another, and they're you know, reeling in, in the intensity of, of his feelings and his emotions and his words. And Jesus was exactly right. Within their lifetime, in the, in the year 67 A.D., uh, Romans would come and lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. For three years, they laid siege to the city. In 70, they would burn it with fire. They would destroy the temple, fulfilling the words of Jesus, uh, fulfilling the, Jesus' prophecy and his prophetic action. But as we listen to all of Jesus' teaching, we're going to go through those verses 25 through 33 if you want to open your Bible. We see that there... Jesus may have been speaking about more than just the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. There's certainly a sense in which his words apply to their lifetime, but one suspects in reading his words that he's speaking on two levels in the tradition of a lot of the, the prophets that we have in the Old Testament who would say something that applied to their own immediate context, and yet there was a, tr a fuller sense in the, in the course of time that their words would prove true. Jesus was speaking to his immediate context in the lifetime of the disciples, and yet, in another sense, he was speaking about something further off. In verses 25 and 26, it seems like there's a shift in his emphasis and his tone, and he brings up this imagery that hints that a time will come when there's acute, intense upheaval on the earth. That the created world itself is going to be in, like, the pains of labor. This is verses uh, 26, verse 26. Jesus said people will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming of the world. It's not just the regular bad news. It says the heavenly bodies themselves will be shaken. The sun and the moon and the stars are behaving strangely. Nature is convulsing and people will freak out. And Jesus says that when everything seems like it couldn't possibly get any worse, at that moment, God's going to intervene. Verses 27 and 28. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Jesus likes this, this title for himself. It comes from the prophet Daniel. Jesus says, at that time, they'll see the Son of Man coming. And when these things begin to take place, when you see upheaval in nature, and it seems like uh, nothing can get worse, 
at that time, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The text seems to suggest that things are going to get way worse on planet Earth before they get way better at Christ's return. Now, most people in human history have wondered if this passage applied to them. I mean, generally, you think about some of the terrible things that have happened in human history since Jesus spoke these words. Most people have wondered, is this us? There's the guy who wrote 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. And when that didn't happen, he had to recalibrate and come up with another reason to make it 1989. But in view of the apocalypse, Jesus says you're not going to be able to guess when this happens, but in view that it's going to happen... It will return, there will be upheaval on the earth in an unprecedented kind of way. Jesus gives dual advice, dual counsel to those who would listen. The first is he, he tells people to read the times, to read the times. Listen to verses 29 through 31. He told them this parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. He goes to the created world, and it's like, look, you, you have the intuition to appreciate that when, when the buds start to come out of the trees, the season is changing. You know in the West when pumpkin spice lattes come out that the season is changing. Uh, Jesus tells them to, to read the times, to, to pay attention. This invites us to ask the Lord to give us the ability to see from a spiritual perspective. Some people are really gifted in this. Do you know a person who, you know, spiritual otherwise, you're in a meeting and everyone thinks the conversation is happening on this level, but they, they bring a perspective that just changes everything. There are people who can, who can read the times. We have the gift and the Holy Spirit of discernment. Jesus invites us to have this kind of, uh, this kind of curiosity in the way that we see the world beyond what is uh, uh, present and available to our eyes. You can appreciate the difference between a person who starts a company and they're working in the company, they're making the cookies or the widgets or whatever it is they're doing. There's a difference between working in and working on. Those who zoom out and say, let's, let's take inventory of how things are going and the manner in which we're working a person who's aided by the Holy Spirit trying to read the times has zoomed out a bit. They see things slant. They're trying to see what is, what is really going on from God's perspective. There's a really interesting cryptic line in 1 Chronicles 12 uh, where the author describes the sons of Issachar. It says in 1 Chronicles 12, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Don't you want to be a person who understands the times and, and, and then knows what you should do? I wonder if we were to zoom out of uh, the, the present era that we're in. If we could see things from God's perspective, like what are, what are the head, where are the headwinds blowing? What's, what's God doing in the world? What's even the enemy doing in the world right now? I started thinking about this, about this topic this week, and I was like, what, what do I sense? I don't know, I don't speak with the authority of Christ in this. This is John, but what, what do I see that's happening in the world right now? 
When I think about zooming out to the last five years or ten years or so and some of the, the things that have been just shifting in the world, I think one of the things that has really surfaced in the last decade has been some of the abuses and the excesses of evangelical church culture. And that's raised for many people legitimate beef with the church. There have been legitimate points of concern or heartbreak with how the American church or the church in the West has handled a great many issues. There's something very valid about naming and lamenting those, but there's been this kind of bringing to the surface of excesses and abuses of evangelical American culture that's brought this kind of legitimate concern or beef or heartache among many in the church, and it's, it's led to this kind of skepticism of religious dogma. So seeing that many people in church leadership might not be completely trustworthy or the veil is pulled back and we've seen how some people have behaved in unfortunate ways, it's led to this skepticism of religious dogma altogether. And in the climate of the last five to ten years, it perceived how that, that skepticism of religious dogma has been replaced in many, in many cases with the kind of uh, um, angry political dogma. So whereas there's skepticism about any kind of authority about ideology or beliefs, theology from the church, there's now enthusiastic buy-in to political dogma. Now, into the middle of all of this comes the coronavirus and the pandemic, where all of us, you, you remember the coronavirus? Okay. Last year, there was a time for a period of some months where we all had to go in our houses and we couldn't talk to each other, you remember? And uh, in the middle of, of all of this tumult comes COVID and quarantine, and we're all physically isolated from one, one another and barred from a gathering for corporate worship for a season. And that, that the, the distance that came from COVID for a season turned into, like, meaningful distance for many people from their church community. And then tons of people reevaluated their relationship with church altogether, but tons, tons of people were thinking, like, I'm not going to go from church A to church B, but I'm not so sure about church, this thing, altogether. And I think over the course of time, for many people, and you could probably name one, two, three, four, five examples of people that you know, that's resulted in them leaving the church permanently, and for many, leaving the faith altogether. We need to learn to lead the times. Now, incredibly, but in comically, but only in a really dark way, this, this pattern has been very predictable. You know, and you could, you could think about the emails or the texts or the conversations you had with friends as they were making their way through this, this, this progress, this, this, this uh, kind of the opposite of progress, this digression. We need to be able to read the times. My, my sense tells me Maybe the Holy Spirit tells me it would be a stretch to say that at this point. I feel like people are getting systematically suckered away. We need to read the times. The second thing that Jesus advises his people is to be watchful. To be watchful. These are verses 34 through 36. Jesus said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing. The, the imagery here is of being hung over from drinking too much. This is the imagery here of carousing. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day when, when the Son of Man returns will close on you suddenly like a trap. It'll come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. This gives us reason to believe you may not just be talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. There's a bigger story here. This day will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. So be always on the watch 
and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus tells numerous parables, the, the, the parable of the ten virgins who need to keep their wicks trimmed and oil in their lamps so they can be alert when the bridegroom comes. Jesus says, be on your toes, be watchful, be paying attention to what I'm doing in the world. It's a challenge to sobriety, to being in your right mind so that you can be attentive, so that you can read the times, so you can see when the Son of Man is at work and active in the world. In the 90s, my absolute favorite worship leader was Daryl Evans, who was from Tulsa. He had the prototypical worship leader voice. I love Daryl Evans. And he had this song, We Will Embrace Your Move. And the song gives this as this kind of watchful, reading the times aura about it. And he's saying, Behold, our God is gracious. He's moving among the nations, preparing the bride for Jesus and proving he reigns. His spirit is tearing down walls built on the pride of man. To those who've rejected him, he's reaching his hand out again. It's this, this watchful, alert, sober song, getting God's people to pay attention to what God is doing in the earth. And Jesus says, be watchful, be sober, so that you can see the day of his coming. In a similar way, the New Testament, I think of 1 Peter chapter 5, challenges us to be on our toes and sober and alert to pay attention to the, the strategies of the enemy. Be aware, your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. Uh, the, the whole human stage, we're not the only actors on it. God intervenes in human history, but there's, there are also spiritual forces of wickedness at work in our world. Uh, I, I read the Frank Peretti books. Did any of you read these uh, in, a, in a different era? This present darkness kind of opened our eyes to the, the world of spiritual warfare, warfare. Some people major in those things. I think we should just be aware and alert. But I think about, uh, there's a passage in Daniel chapter 10 where the prophet Daniel is living in Babylon. He's in a foreign culture. He's a religious minority, a persecuted religious minority. His people have had uh, their homes uh, destroyed at the, the exile of Judah, the temple, again, the walls destroyed, just like it would happen in 70 A.D. And, and Daniel finds himself in Babylon trying to be watchful, trying to read the times, and so he resolves to praying at, at appointed hours on his rooftop, even though it was against the law. And in Daniel chapter 10, there's this, there's this time where Daniel goes to his place of prayer, and an angel comes to visit him. This is what it says in Daniel 10. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. This is the angel speaking. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. He said, and stand up, for I've now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. The angel continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding... And to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Some of you who are discouraged in prayer, hear the encouragement. From the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I, the angel, have come in response to them. But there was an obstacle. The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. This is demonic kind of imagery and language. There was opposition in the spiritual realm. 
And then Michael, one of the chief angels, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. This angel had to call for backup because there was intense spiritual opposition. And similarly, in our world, we have our own hopes and desires to to be about the things of God. God is at work stirring up our desires, giving us the grace to seek Him. But we also have very real spiritual opposition, the powers and principalities of darkness that the New Testament talks about. And so Jesus warns His people to read the times. There's a season when I was employed at a place and discovered there were some people who didn't like me very much. And I came to appreciate these are circumstantial relational stressors. If I could zoom out and read the times, there were things really beyond our control that were putting us at odds with one another. And similarly, we need to read the times and see that we're being suckered into hating each other. We're being suckered into making enemies of other people made in the image of God. Read the times. Jesus warns his people and be watchful, be alert both for what the Lord is doing in the earth, but also to be alert and on guard against the work of the enemy. One of the things I would love to invite us to do as a community for the season of Advent, Advent is four weeks. It will transition with Christmas, which is on December 25th this year. And uh, for the season of Advent, I would like to invite us to have a common practice, something that we're basically all doing. It's not going to take a lot of your time, but it could add some meaningful value to your life. In the spirit of of reading the times and the spirit of being watchful together, I want to invite us as a community morning and evening to pray the Lord's Prayer. Very simple, not very long, but to pray the Lord's Prayer on your knees, which is a prayer in itself. Now, prayer, and especially praying the Lord's Prayer, this is not magic. Do you understand what I mean? This is not like you just say the words and bada-bing, bada-boom, everything's better. It's it's in the spirit of helping us to be alert and watchful, to be cooperative with what God is trying to do in the world. Every time, especially in the last two years that I pray the Lord's Prayer, I just feel like that's just the perfect thing to pray. Our Father in heaven, our Father, you're not just mine. I don't have a hold on you. Like I'm, I'm part of a whole. Hallowed be your name. May your name be honored in all the earth. This is the core prayer of Advent. May your kingdom come. End the present evil age and usher in and inaugurate your kingdom in its fullness. So we're praying. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth just the way it is currently in the heavens. Give us today just what we need for today. Forgive how royally we have screwed things up and give us the grace to forgive other people too. Don't lead us into a time of testing. Our faith is too weak, but deliver us from evil and from the evil one who's working against us. And then we look forward to that day when all of creation together resounds with with the doxology for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you live with other people, Take the little spiritual relational risk of praying this with them on your knees. If you're you're alone, do it by yourself. But know that you're doing it in solidarity with our whole community. Let's do this in the spirit of inviting God to help us to read the times and to help us to be watchful, beginning and ending our day, praying the Lord's Prayer. 
One, way that, one final way that I want to share that we might understand the state of the world that we're in right now, the, the time between, comes from the world of real estate. And some of my friends who are realtors have told me that when a person learns that their home is being foreclosed on, that this place where they live, where they kick back their feet and they're at home, they are being kicked out of, it's not uncommon at all for a person to utterly destroy the place on their way out. They're going to strip it of every part they could possibly use or sell. They're going to smear all kinds of things on the walls. They're going to put holes in the drywall when they know that the day is coming that they're going to have to get out. They are going to destroy it. And in a similar way, thinking about the era that we live in now, the devil is being foreclosed on. And in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, he has been served notice that his time will come to an end. And there will be a final day when Jesus returns to administer true justice on the earth. But until that day, the devil is completely and finally and ultimately kicked out of the earth. He's inflicting mayhem on his way out. And we're losing people left and right as the human race. We're being, we're being picked off and suckered out. And we feel the current mayhem of our enemy that's inflicted on our lives. We feel the brokenness in our own hearts when there are habits that we just can't kick that are ruining our relationships. We feel that deep agony and frustration in the life of, of teenagers that we know who struggle with body image issues and, and people we know who've taken their own lives. The darkness has become so pervasive they can't see a way out that that feels like the most sensible option. We, we feel it in our bones that things are not right in the world. But know, my friends, that God will not tolerate this forever. But He will come. He will come. He will comfort all of His heart and make the deserts into gardens, and we all will see His face. And so today, no matter what baggage or burden you're carrying, or especially in light of it, I want to encourage you to lift up your eyes, to read the times, to be watchful, to discern even now, even in the space as we gather around the table that the Lord Jesus is present with us. He's present as we drink the wine and we break the bread. Jesus is present, and He who has been faithful in the past is faithful now and will prove to be faithful forever. So call on Him. Ask for His help. Put your full hope and confidence in Him and be assured that He will come. Let's pray together. Jesus, I think of the exchange you had with your disciples and you give a hard teaching and you say, are you going to go too? And the disciples respond, where else can we go? You alone have the words of life. And apart from your intervention, Lord Jesus, where else can we go? Our politics haven't, haven't saved us or made meaningful progress. Uh, just trying to be nicer to each other to figure out on our own or this kind of blind optimism is not helping us. Lord Jesus, the, the world is, uh, is dark. We're asking for your intervention. We're putting our hope in your intervention. I pray, Lord Jesus, today that you'd help us to have eyes that are expectant and open and able to perceive what you're trying to do with us and in the world. 
as we're, as we're given that gift of sight, I pray that you give us the wisdom and the discernment and the courage to know how to share that and encourage other people. And I pray even today, Lord Jesus, as we come to the table, that you'd open our eyes to this, this uh, deeper reality that you are even more present in this room than we are, and that you're indeed working even now to make all things new. And so as we receive communion uh, right now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make it so much more than just a little wafer and a shot of juice, but make it for us be a means by which we encounter the presence of the risen Jesus. Pray that you do the things that we cannot, that you would encourage and brighten the eyes and the minds of those who are stuck in depression that you'd unclench our fists from the, the reins of control over our lives, that in those places of our hearts that we've been, we're, we're so hurt that only by your intervention could we let you heal us. I pray that you would move. Lord Jesus, heal the sick, forgive the sinner, unite the church, give hope to the hopeless, even now this we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.